0: Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody on this Memorial Day Sunday evening. So glad that you've come out tonight. And as you can tell, we had a wonderful spirit, a wonderful day today, and the Lord really moved in our midst. We have some special projects that we're doing, and I want to remind you of these. And uh, they are as follows. We are finishing up a special offering using the uh, red uh envelopes, the envelopes with the red writing, rather, on them, let's say, love offering. We're giving a special offering uh, to Anna Gilkey, who is our Go Deaf missionary, so that she can go to Australia and minister with the rest of the team in the fall. So we're working on that right now and capping that off as we're able to do. So we're going to find out what the need is, but right now we're going to cap that off. And we're starting today a pivotal offering. And this is very special. We're calling it simply Revival. And uh, what we're doing is we're collecting funds. We'll have special envelopes next week that will say Revival. But right now, just use the red writing envelopes, love offering envelopes. Write Revival on there. Give the very best offering you can. And the monies are being used to support our involvement in a number of revival meetings around the country. Later on now, in the month of June... I'm going to be directing music at a great conference on revival in uh, the old Winona Lake Auditorium, known as the Rhoda Heaver Auditorium, and it has not been used for preaching and and singing and ministering and revival for many years. It's now rented out for weddings and special activities. They've renamed it the Heritage Room, but it's it's going to be put back in preaching order. We have... Three services planned for one day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Prior to each of those meetings, and each one is a full meeting, I will have a musical concert organized of, of local church musicians and choirs and groups that we put together. And we will have a half hour of music before each of the three meetings. So it's going to be on fire. I want you to be praying that revival will break out. Over 100 churches have been contacted and over 30 uh, pastors and churches are participating in the meeting. It's going to be a jam-packed, huge auditorium with uh, just an exciting uh, electric atmosphere. Praise the Lord. There are also revival efforts going on around the country and around the world at this time because we believe that revival is the only answer. I don't believe that politics or any other... Social activity will do What revival will do Old fashioned Bible uh, Revival coming down from God God's got to send it We want to meet his requirements If my people Which are called by my name Shall humble themselves and pray Seek my face Turn from their wicked ways Then he's going to hear from heaven He's going to heal our land So we're praying for that to happen So that's coming up Don't forget Father's Day Don't forget our graduation promotion Sunday the 26th And in the evening service uh, All of our Institute uh, certificates, diplomas. We're working on them right now, trying to get everybody, you know, crammed and finished. And and we have some special honors as well, some great things going on. This summer also, we will have our soul winning booths, plural, out at the Prince William County Fairgrounds. And we are going to do everything we possibly can to win as many souls to Christ. So praise the Lord. Those are some exciting things that are going on. Now tonight... I may have your attention. I believe God has a message for us. Zig Ziglar was uh, someone I always enjoyed hearing. Zig Ziglar was a, a motivator, but he was a born-again motivator. And for a time, he was even one of the uh, laymen who was a vice president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. Uh, he was truly born-again man. Wrote a lot of great books on closing the deal and, you know, how to, how to sell and so forth. But he, uh, he was... He was very good at what he did. He's now in heaven. But at one time, he stood before a large crowd of uh, church folks. And uh, in that conference, he held up a Bible like this. I want you to hold up your Bible. Do like he did. He had them hold up their Bible. And uh, this sounds familiar. Ziglar said, how many of you believe every word of this book? And put your hand up if you believe it. All right. All right. Nearly every hand in that great conference hall was raised. And then he did this. He took down his Bible and he picked up a newspaper. You can put your Bibles down. Picked up a newspaper. He says, how many of you believe every word of this newspaper? And not a hand to the credit of that group went up. Nobody believed every word of the newspaper. I'm way too smart for that, aren't we? And then he put the paper down, and Zig Ziglar said this, Why then is it that we spend more time reading what we don't believe every word of than what we profess to believe every word of? Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Amen. I believe that's a, a right start to what we're going to be doing tonight. Our desire ought to be to take the Word of God and live it out. That should be our desire, to make the most practical application, not some far-out-off-the-wall thing that is impractical, but whatever God's perfect will is for us. And I believe in the perfect will of God, and, uh, and to take this most practical truth and put it into practice. Now, how can I do that? Well, tonight, I said, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to the whole Bible is practical, but I'm going to take what I consider to be uh, one of the most practical parts of the Bible, and that's the book of James. Let's go there. Go to the book of James. Book of James, very very practical. James, the half brother of Jesus Christ, grew up in the home of Joseph the carpenter and his wife Mary, and was the half brother to our Savior Jesus Christ. So we've got the book of James, written by James. He was also the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He had a great responsibility. I believe that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that uh, the Lord had special time with James, didn't he, after the resurrection? He probably took a walk with him and said, little brother, You think what I just went through was difficult, wait till you're pastor of the church. (laughs) You're gonna be having some challenges. Amen, amen. So we should desire the most practical application of the most practical truth that we can find in the most practical book of our practical King James Bible. Amen, amen, that's what we're doing. And what is that, what is that? It results, hopefully, in our becoming, mature, practicing behaviors of what we say we believe. Truly, we ought to be Bible believers who are Bible behaviors. That's it. Truly, we ought to put into practice every word of a book that we profess to believe every word of, that we profess every word to be God's word, Then what we've heard on the street, what we've read in the newspaper, what we've heard on the news, we, we certainly ought to become practical behaviors of what we claim to be Bible believers. All right, turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 1. And we will refer back to the beginning of this chapter, but I want us to go to the end of the chapter. Let's start at verse 21. Verse 21 of James Chapter one, where it says, "Wherefore?" And any time we come to the word "Wherefore" or "Therefore," we look and see what it's there for." So we'll go back and we'll review the first 20 verses, but let's start with 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now there, there is the process. There is the process. Process is laid out. We need to make a decision. We need to make a choice. Just like um, Jesus said, you know, if you, choose, if you choose your life, then you don't get the one that Jesus has for you. But if you choose to lay aside that life that you would have lived if it had been up to you, and you take the one that Jesus has for you, you, you may have to adjust to that. But the blessings, the rewards, will, will be uh, innumerable. They, they will be impossible to measure. So we, we need to make a decision, and we constantly have these. This is, not, this is not how we get saved, but this is what we do after we have been saved. We make a decision to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. This is a Christian deciding willfully and deliberately that they're not going to waste their opportunity in a carnal lifestyle but instead they are going to uh, purposely uh, intentionally choose a separated consecrated lifestyle. So you've got a choice. Carnal or consecrated. Which is it going to be? Now a lot of times people choose carnal because they think consecrated is no fun. But Carnal comes with consequences, all right? So carnal lifestyle, if you choose that, you're going to have some heavy consequences. Likewise, if you choose consecrated, if you give yourself openly and completely to the Lord, there will be some results, some consequences, but they're all blessings. They're for the glory of God. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. Because you see, if I choose carnality with consequences, I am not going to be able to take in the Word of God and process it and live it out practically because the two will not coexist. You can't choose a carnal lifestyle and then go to church on Sunday and do this thing. You know, like some folks are in religions where they sin all week and then they go to uh, confession and by going to confession and being told to say a certain number of words or do a certain number of good deeds or, or you know, uh, help out the poor, do some benevolent things, that that takes care of the prior week so that they can go about doing the same thing over again and end up back at confession on Saturday again. Now, they want to do that because they have been lied to and told that they cannot take of their form of communion unless they go to confession. How many of you are aware of that? In that system, they've got you. They've got you coming and going. So all week long, you don't have a transformed life. You just live a carnal life because they're lost. They're not saved in, in many, many, many cases. They're just, they're unsaved religious people. And so they sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, but they have to go to confession Saturday night so they can partake of the communion because, you see, they have been lied to and told that the way that they will have a chance at not going to hell and maybe spending less time in purgatory is by taking communion on Sunday. But you can't, here's the hitch, you can't get communion unless you've been to confession. See, got you coming and going. Nothing like that in the Bible, praise the Lord. It doesn't work that way. Instead, we have the capacity to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have the indwelling Spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. And we have the living Word of God. And as a result of having that, we can live victoriously. Not, not perfect, sinlessly perfect. That's not gonna happen until the old nature's gone. But certainly a victorious life, uh, a, a pattern of living which is consistent, that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ living out of us. So we don't go through the whole week sinning, 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 and then have to go uh, tell your sins to a man through a screen uh, and be told what to do about that, as if what we do has anything to do with our reprieve, because that's all in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's all in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not what we do. But that's what he'll tell you through the screen so that you are hooked in and have the communion, the wafer, on Sunday morning. So, there you have it. We are not part of a, of a religious scam, a system. Instead, we are part of a, of a great practical uh, program that God has laid out. And that program is that when we come to God through Christ, we begin to have within us new life. How many of you believe that? We become new creatures from the inside out. And that's a growing thing. And we become more and more and more adept, as we depend on the Lord, at living victoriously. Longer periods of time between graphic sin, gross sin, victorious living in terms of of allowing Christ to live through us, being a witness, being an example for Jesus Christ, When we do sin, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not to maintain our salvation or to be saved, but that is to maintain fellowship, to be right with the Lord so that we can live victoriously. We want to be in touch with constantly. We want to abide in Christ and Christ abiding in us. So we go through the week. Uh, Because of that, we get to bypass the confessional. Amen! Because of that, we don't Receive communion as if that is the source of life. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, as we observe it, is a remembrance. It is a symbol. It is a picture of something else, but it has no power inherent in itself that will do anything for our spirituality. So you see, those things have been twisted. And now we start out the next week having been under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God with God's people on Sunday, singing the great hymns and the songs of the faith and and going out on a Monday morning, facing our challenge, putting on the whole armor of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led of the Spirit, having Jesus Christ live through our life, speak through our words, think in our minds, see through our eyes, go where... Where we are led to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ victorious. We come up to Saturday, we get to bypass the confessional. We don't have to take communion to have life. You understand what I'm saying? We're under the preaching of the Word of God. That's where the life is. The life isn't in some system. The life is in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So where is life? Life is in the Lord Jesus If you've got the Lord Jesus, you've got life. If you haven't got the Lord Jesus, you haven't got life. That's it. Now, does it ever get to the point where, you know, between Sunday and Sunday that a person feels like they've lost their salvation? Yes, if they've been running around with that crowd that goes to confession. Yes, if they run around with those folks whose churches way back yonder came out of a church, came out of a church, came out of a church, out of that mess, instead of, that line that goes back to Jesus Christ. They're confused because their doctrine is based in their, in their, you know, the, the spiritual grandparents, which is, which is the, the wickedness, uh, the false teaching of that false system that we just described. It's not about works, not by works which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. We're saved by grace. We have been saved because God has shown us through the Word of God, that it's all been done for us. And so he gives us uh, that new life and we, we begin to live that new life and we enjoy it. But we need the Word of God because this is our source of guidance and direction and strength right here. This is it. People who are flat on their back, they've still got the Lord. People who can't get up and go, still got the Lord. There it is. So between Sunday and Sunday, do we lose anything? Might lose a little steam Might have to go back, get spiritually refreshed. Might have to be renewed in our spirit. Do we have to get saved over and over and over again? No. No, we don't. Why? Because we know what God does is perfect and it's forever. And you don't have to get saved twice. You don't have to get saved three times, four times, again and again and again. All of that junk came out of people's insecurities and they're rubbing elbows with folks in that false system that I described when I started out. There's a whole lot of commonality between that system that's got the confessional and the and the Eucharist on Sunday and all that with the hooks in it between that and a lot of the folks that jump and shout in some of these places. There's there's a lot. It's very close affinity. You want to know why? Because they got the same sense, the same doctrine of soteriology. They feel like they got to do something or keep on doing something or do it really well in order to keep this thing called salvation. You know what? It all came from the same source. It came from the devil. It's wrong. Everything that we have is a free gift from God. We don't do anything to earn it, to deserve it, to get it, to keep it. Anything that is done in our life that gets better is because we yield to God. It's not because we did something. It's not because we worked at it or we really, 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 really hung in there has nothing to do with that, folks. Our hanging in is not part of this. Real, practical Bible behaving for Bible believers means the more I yield, the more God grows me. The more I give in and let go and let Him have me, the more He grows me. I become more and more what He wants me to be. So we understand there's this business that we've got to make a decision, a choice. Are we going to just live that sloppy, you know, carnal life with consequences? Or are we going to give ourselves to God and allow Him to have His way in and through us, live a consecrated life, which certainly has blessings? All right. So the engrafted word, the engrafted word, we receive with meekness the engrafted word. What is meekness? Meekness means step aside, let the Word of God work in us. Too often we are stubborn. You know, we take, we take to a, an extreme this business of being independent Baptist. I am always independent Baptist. And if I weren't a, an independent Baptist, I'd be, uh, 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 like the man said, I'd be ashamed. But I'm an independent Baptist. And, and sometimes I'm a little stubborn. Anybody here identify with that? Now, don't say, yeah, we know you're stubborn. No, no, no. How many of you identify with that? Sometimes we're a little stubborn. We need, and and the Lord will prod us to get out of the way. He will allow circumstances, experiences in our life, people in our life, godly influences, to teach us that from the very beginning of our day, the very beginning, in the beginning, God, the very beginning of our life, the very beginning of our relationships, very beginning of our job, uh, you know, history, whatever it is, the very beginning of going to a school, very beginning of, of taking a course, whatever it is, we get out of the way and we receive the engrafted Word with meekness. Amen. Verse 22. Read it with me, please. James 1.22 says, But be ye, what? Doers of the Word, and not, what? Hearers only. Doing what? Deceiving your own selves, there it is, there it is. Our goal, our desire is to be more than a hearer. If we are more than a hearer and if we are in fact a doer because we're allowing the Lord to have his way, it is because we have fulfilled the the picture, the metaphor that we see in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, it is God's will that we bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and that that fruit remains. Amen? We need to be fruit-bearing believers, fruit-bearing Christians. And that should be our goal, to glorify the Lord, to bring glory to God, doers and not hearers only. Bill Simmons, who was on the city council, county, county board of supervisors or something like that, in uh, the town where we ministered last, came to our service after we went back one time and I was preaching. He had heard me for 16 years give the plan of salvation at all kinds of activities, public public, uh, places and venues and so forth. But he came to church, sat in the back, received Christ as his Savior. He always said, I like you, I like you. And he said the reason he liked me was he could sense that I was not, Just a talker, but a doer. Now, that's a little different than a hearer, but not a doer. But you understand, the person who sits down and hears and goes out and doesn't do it is just as guilty as the person who goes out and talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. We need to be doers and not hearers only. There is some very, very practical teaching that we're going to get out of this tonight. And I trust that it will help us. All right. So be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray that as I teach this tonight, that something might come out of this that will cause us to be transformed and like you would have us to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It divides. I'm so thankful for what the Word of God can do in our heart and life. We need to be swift to hear. Swift to hear, as the Scripture says. In verse 19 of this chapter, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So don't try to do it on your own in the energy and the witness of the flesh, but instead yield to God and become a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. The Christian needs to allow the word of God into his or her life. James is using an illustration here about first fruits. He's talking about things that grow. Things that are implanted. The engrafted word uh, has to do with the whole concept of growing things, of agriculture. The word of God is likened to this in the parable of the sower. We we have this uh, more than one place in the New Testament. We have it in Luke's gospel, but we also have it in Matthew's gospel. And in the 13th chapter, uh, we have it given in the first few verses and then explained later on. And the parable of the sower compares the reception of the good seed of the Word of God to the soil, different kinds of soil. And who can tell me how many kinds of soil are given to us in the parable in Matthew chapter 13? Who can tell me how many? Just how many? How many are there? Uno, dos, tres, Quattro, four. four. All right, four kinds of soil. Thank you. I see your hand up there, brother. Amen. Okay, four kinds of soil. And uh, it doesn't turn out well, does it, in three cases? Uh, one kind of gets a good start, but that's it. It's over. And others, you know, they, they just get picked apart. And there's nothing lasting. And the key is, in the good soil, the seed does something. It is able to get down and get a root system. When it comes to the reception of the truth, anything long-term is dependent upon a root system. Now, how many of you are growing things at your house, in your backyard, or in your window uh, box, your planter, or somewhere on your property, you're growing stuff? How many of you are growing things? Okay. How's it doing? Pretty good? You check it every day? Check it for water? What if it doesn't get water? All right. What if it gets too much water? Yeah, all right. So you have to, you kind of have, got to think like a plant, right? You got to kind of look at things and test things out. And so, is there, there, guys, are there some scientific methods you're using, like putting your finger in the soil or things like that? No, you're just kind of observing. All right, okay. But you're hoping for good things to grow. Are we talking vegetables? All right, good. Gotta have those vegetables. Amen. Now the job you do will determine the conditions. So the seed which has taken root, I imagine by now it's planted. You got limbs, you got sprigs, you got things, right? All right, very good. Will be determined. All right. You you got you're watching over it, and that's good. That's very good. In the parable of the sower, the soil itself was not conducive in three cases or the soil with the other circumstances, like the birds that come and steal the seed or the thorns and, and everything else that grows up and chokes it. And we've got that in the piece of property just to the north of us. Now, this is going to be a, a buffer as the Lord uh, allows development out here in this part of, of uh, our, where our building is and our property. There's going to be some development, but we're going to have a buffer with some trees back there. But right now, uh, it's been left to go on its own, and we have vines that wrap around. And what does a vine do? A vine destroys the life that's in that tree, kills the tree, and uh, that's it. That's all she wrote. So trees fall down in the storm, and, and we, we've, we've lost quite a bit there in, in respect to that. But if the, if the soil is good soil, and the, the seed is able to germinate and get good root, and there's nothing to choke it off, there are no rocks, you know, to, to impede the growth. There are no birds to steal the seed. This plant's got half a chance to make it. So we want to make sure it's got everything it needs, and it grows up, and that's it. The Word of God needs to at least have as much care and concern in our life as far as its reception as what we're seeing here. Now, I know that the initial interpretation and application of of the seed of the sower has to do with whether or not folks uh, receive uh, the truth and and they're saved, I understand that. But do you know that these principles are true for saved people too? As we continue on, we need to make sure that the soil is prepared to receive the seed. When people come to church here, if they got rocks in their soil, if they've got, they got some bitterness, some anger, some unresolved issues, are they going to be able to hear the preaching and make any practical usage of it? No. If, if, if they're going out of here and they're sitting down in front of the television and watching every kind of worldly thing, why, the birds of hell are going to come and snatch the seed right out of the soil. There's going to be no seed that's going to go down there. And if they are the kind of people who hear the preaching, but then they get outside the place where the preaching has taken place, and they, they turn on the news and the cares of this life like thorns and briars come up and choke them. That seed is not going to be able to find root in the soil of their heart. There are some things, some conditions that we need to be concerned about as Christians. Not just lost folks. We want to see as many lost people come to Christ as, as possible. But I want to see as many Christians go on with the Lord And grow to a certain level. And that level is maturity. It's a word that is used in James and elsewhere in the Bible that's sometimes misunderstood. It's perfection, completion. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. And we would say that's a perfect purpose. That perfect purpose is that we might take in the seed and that we might grow, that we might Uh, become what God would have us to be. That's his perfect purpose. And he's got a perfect process, as we can see. That perfect process is the Word of God, has its way in our heart and life. And the result is a perfect product. Not sinlessly perfect, but a mature believer. There is no church, as we can see in the New Testament, all the different churches that are listed, there's no church that is completely mature in every respect. There are some that were further along than others. We would certainly say the church at Ephesus had something on the church at Corinth. They were immature. They were baby Christians. But we see a little bit of all of the churches and their main characteristics represented in our New Testament churches today. In this day of grace, in this church age, we see a lot of uh, folks who have opted not to be in the Word, but have opted rather to sit in front of the television set. They've opted not to listen to God, but to listen to NBC, ABC, CBS, MS, and all that other stuff. You know, CNN, I don't know all the alphabet soup news organizations. And they're choked off, constantly worried. All they talk about is negativity. How many of you know somebody, they, they don't turn off the news. They listen to the news and it's coming on the radio or it's coming on the TV all the time. And these people are a bunch of worry warts and they're taken up with all the bad news. Come on. You know somebody like that? I know Christians like that. I know Christians who go out of church and they go home and watch the most vile television because, you know, they're into cable, and I don't know that they put restrictions on themselves or the children. And what happens? They don't have any soil for the seed because they've got the birds and the rocks and the thorns and all that going on. That's for Christians too. We need to make available a place for the seed of the Word to find root and grow up and enable us to be fruitful Christians. Amen and amen. All right. It says in verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In a mirror, in other words. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. How many of you at home are in the midst of doing some chore and you walk from point A to point B and you get to point B and you forget why you're there? You need to write it down. Or, Or what we are finding at our young age is... Say it out loud several times on the way from point A to point B. And at least we have a memory of what we said. But there are some folks when it comes to this, you know, sizing up where we are spiritually and kind of measuring where we ought to be and where we could be and where we should be and and where if we allow the Lord to have His way, we'll get from this point to that point. So we've looked in the mirror of God's Word and we... We leave God's word, and we are forgetful. So we've got, we've got soil that is rocky. We've got soil that is thorn-filled. We've got soil in which the birds of hell steal the seed. And then we've got good soil. And then we have a mirror gazer who is forgetful. And the reason the mirror gazer is forgetful is because they're not gazing with the intent of actually doing anything. Remember the hearers and the doers? Well, they haven't made it into the doer category yet. There it is. Verse 25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. At no time does James ever say you have to keep on working to get saved or stay saved. Now, people who read it wrong, who read with a predisposition for things that are not scriptural, will kind of read that into this. And they'll say, you know, James and Paul, they were at odds with each other. No, they weren't. Same Savior. Same truth. James is just coming at this from the practical standpoint of proving our faith by our works, by becoming more consistent, by doing not simply hearing And so that's why I'm applying some book of Matthew, gospel of the kingdom, scriptural illustrations to the receptivity of the word of God on the part of saved people. Because we have the same challenge that unsaved people have. Unsaved people may or may not have receptive hearts. And Christians, those who claim to be saved, may or may not have receptive hearts. Why? Because of their lifestyle. How important, let me pose this question to you. How important is it to you as a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? How important to you is it to get a good dose of what we see in the scriptural mirror so that we won't be a forgetful here, but rather a doer? How important is it? That determines how much we Desire to remember. We need a pattern of remembering. We need to gaze carefully, as one writer has said, not glance casually. Gaze carefully, and I say do it systematically. We have a wonderful systematic way of reading through the Bible, taking notes, and uh, it's up on our screen readyourbiblethrough.com. Today, uh, over in 2 Kings, right? And uh, also in Ephesians, moving right along in the Old and New Testaments. And I hope that you are. You can get that app and tap it on and see in any given, on any given day of the calendar where you ought to be. And uh, if you're not up to speed, just start where those who are up to speed and then go back and catch up. It's the same thing with our Bible Institute. Just get where everybody's up to speed. Go back and catch up. It'll be all right. God will enable you to do that. Just cut out some some wasted time on window shopping or some wasted time on uh, unnecessary conversation or some wasted time on your electronic devices. Whatever it may be, it will be possible for you to catch up in your Bible reading. It'll be possible for you to catch up in your Bible institute, whether you do or not. I believe it's important to try. How many of you believe that too? I believe it's very important to make that effort. Making the effort shows where your heart's at. So where is your heart tonight? Is, it, is your heart at least focused on a systematic, balanced approach to the Word of God so that your life will be a practical process based upon God's perfect purpose, a perfect process, resulting in a perfect product, a mature believer. That's it. There it is. The life of the believer looks into the Word, and these verses describe it very well. Now, the outward expression of this, if any man among you seem to be religious, if that's what it is, they seem to be, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Now, the religion that's spoken of here is not the same as a relationship with the Lord, but the religion is the outworking of it. It's what people see. It's what you claim to practice as your your religious activity. But if this fella doesn't have Holy Spirit-controlled tongue, then it's pretty obvious something's not right inside. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. so last of all he's to be clean, he's to be separated, not, not uh, all splattered up with the world system and and the outworking of this is to show real, true Bible heartfelt compassion for people who don't have parents, for for fatherless and and for widows, people that don't have somebody to care for them and to do so in a proper and appropriate fashion. And that's why widows should never have to worry about who's going to change the oil on their car if they don't know how to do it themselves. Or shouldn't, shouldn't worry. Widows shouldn't worry about who's going to go to the store if they're not able to get there or who's going to take care of their yard because that's what true spiritual people do. That's what their outworking of their profession is, their religion, their so-called outward profession of it is going to be manifested in a benevolent fashion towards others. That's the first dead giveaway. What can we do to help? Or we're here to help. We're not going to take no for an answer. We're here to make a difference. Amen. I see in that spiritual maturity. I see God's concept of this perfect mature Christian this Christian not sinless but wanting to live out his or her Christianity there it is There are so many weeds that can pop up so many rocks so many birds of hell that can keep us from our spiritual life and our spiritual vitality and our spiritual maturity we need to be in the word until the word becomes a part of us there it is so God has this great purpose. He wants us to come along and live out that spiritual maturity. Praise God. As the world sees you and sees me, they're going to see a little bit of what our God is all about. As you read the first part of this chapter, I'm not going to take the time right now, there is something about God's divine purpose, His plan. And the world is never going to get that, are they? Because they're never going to read about God. And they don't know God through Christ. And so uh, to them, it's all very confusing. And then we have the attributes of God on open display. But a typical unsafe person is not going to do a study of the attributes of God from the Word of God on his or her own, are they? No. You know how they're going to get their study of the attributes of God? By watching you and me. That's it. If they see any goodness, they'll know that God's about goodness. If they see any righteousness lived out on a practical level, any purity, any holiness, they're going to know that that's what God is. If they see any kindness, they see any justice, they see any proper judgment, any fairness, any equity, they're going to know that's the kind of God that we serve. The God who who saved us, the God who came to earth, became a man, and died for us, took our place, the same one who's living through us, that's what they're going to see. So I guess what I am really driving at tonight is, if we want this world to get it straight, they're going to have to get it through us. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. How's that soil of your heart, the receptivity? Uh, for the truth. How is that working out? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart about being a practical Christian. Raise your hand up high. Spirit of God spoke to me. Amen. Amen. If that's your desire, I would invite you to come down to the front on the invitation that's going to be offered in just a moment. I would ask you to kneel down, have a word of prayer, And ask the Lord to take you, use you, make a difference through your life uh, in the lives of others. If there's someone for whom you want to pray, that's, that's perfectly all right. I encourage that. And then back to your seat. Tonight, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you about something deeper, you're concerned about your soul's salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart to God tonight? Simply pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sin. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. All right.
1: Complete in thee no work of mine. Take dear Lord the place of thine Thy blood hath barn and bought for me shall sin, thy grace hath conquered reign within, thy voice shall bid the tempter flee, and I shall stand complete in thee, complete in thee, each one supplied, and no good thing to me denied, since thou my portion, Lord, will be, I ask no more, complete in thee. Shall be dear Savior, when before thy bar, all tribes and tongues assembled are, Among Thy chosen will I be at thy right hand in thee. too shall be. a justified, O blessed and sanctified, salvation brought. Thy blood hath pardoned, but for me, and glorified I too shall be.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Yes, Colossians chapter 2, where it says,